You are listening to WTUZ Radio Podcast. Welcome to WTUZ Radio Podcast. I am your host, Rhonda. And today's topic, we are going to discuss the history of marijuana and how it is being applied today. So the title of this is, I'm in love with Mary Jane. Okay, so what sparked me to do this particular podcast, of podcast, of course, is the fact that uh, many states in the United States and across other nations are now starting to legalize marijuana, okay? Now, let's stick with particularly the United States on how uh, marijuana was a uh, Schedule One narcotic and a lot of people were locked up and jailed for its use and for its distribution. And particularly the numbers as far as incarceration rates were extremely high for people of color. Okay. So now we're at the point where many states are legalizing marijuana and it fits into two categories. One is for medical use only. And the other one is total legalization, or they, they're calling it recreational legalization. Now, th- those particular two categories are different by state. They vary by state. And I also have to add that some still have it listed as Schedule One, where it is not legal at all under any circumstances. Now, California was the first to lead the way in a step of legalizing marijuana because it was done at the state level and then it still wasn't uh, legal at the federal level. Although I still think that's the case, that it's still, quote, quote, not legal at the federal level, but um, at the state level, they have their own set of rules and laws and it's fine. So California was the first to blaze, no pun intended, (laughs) the first step in uh, recreational legalization. They started with a medical marijuana card, and then it led to um, recreational use. And uh, it started spreading across the U.S. I can't remember who was next if not Utah, but Oregon, Oregon, Portland, Oregon, I think was next. Um, I'm not sure if Vegas was next. So a couple of the states out West, and then it started uh, coming East. So particularly we're talking, uh, a big one was Illinois is now recreational use and a couple other states. I'm not going to go through all of the states now. Illinois, which if you are familiar with that state, they have huge budget deficits. They have one of the highest property taxes in the nation, specifically 
the city of Chicago. It is, when I tell you it's beyond ridiculous, it's beyond ridiculous. Well, when they legalized the recreational use of marijuana, they instantaneously started making big money. We're talking profits in the billions in the first month that they legalized uh, marijuana for recreational use. Hence is the reason that a lot of other states, of course, are doing it as well. So in other words, they're taking uh, the criminalization out of the use of the plant, okay, or whether or not you want to call it a substance. Uh, some people still call it a drug, all right? Um, so what we're going to do, we are going to get into a little bit of the history of marijuana and or cannabis. That's also, I guess that's the plant definition name of it, which is cannabis. We're going to get into a little bit of the history so you can see how marijuana or cannabis being a substance abuse was not always the case across the world, okay? Uh, so bear with me. Oh, before I get into that, when we get back into the state's uh, giving authorization for either medical use or recreational use, the sale of it and the distribution of it is still a licensing process for those particular states. So meaning you have to go to a dispensary to get your uh, cannabis. And in some cases, you are allowed, depending on the state, one or two plants where you can grow for your own personal use, okay? So, all right, let's get into the history of marijuana or cannabis. So now, y'all, you all know I just had to go to Marijuana Times because <laughs> uh, I figured they would have a great write-up. Uh, although Wikipedia has a great write-up as well, I wanted to uh, do Marijuana Times, Okay. So, uh, this is a history of cannabis and prohibition. When it comes to history, there are a lot of things that get left out of textbooks for various reasons. And even through multiple world history and American history classes, I can't recall a single bit of information about cannabis prior to the reefer madness era. All right, so those of you not familiar, and this is really before my time, y'all. I want to say this was back either in the 50s or 40s. And you can go look this up probably on YouTube. They have the video, look it up, called Reefer Madness. If there was ever a poster board for propaganda, that film <laughs> was definitely that. All right. Perhaps there was a quick mention of things made of hemp but no real background on the plant, how, it how its uses were discovered or how it made, how it made it way pretty much all across the world. All right. So it was for this reason that I decided to write this article and a few that will follow it. 
Cannabis is an amazing plant that we're learning more and more about every year, but perhaps we could better understand this plant if we look past the last century of back and forth prohibition and start it with the thousands of years when it was just another plant. A quick note, I've linked you to many sources throughout this article. However, some of the information I will be providing you with here came from a book recommended to me specifically for this piece. It was an excellent read. I would like to re recommend it to you. Smoke Signals by Mart Martin A. Lee. The oldest record of cannabis use dates back 10,000 years. The use of hemp and marijuana dates back to the Neolithic period, which makes cannabis one of the first agricultural crops to ever be cultivated and harvested. Now that's deep. Back to the Neolithic period, it was one of the first agricultural crops. The people of this time managed to find uses for every part of the cannabis plant, from the stems and the stalks that provided fiber for cloth, rope, cords, and more. The roots leaves and flowers, which were uh, used both in medicine and spiritual rituals, and finally the seeds, which they ate as a way to provide essential fatty acids and proteins. A cord used in a piece of pottery found in an ancient village located near what is modern Taiwan is the oldest piece of hemp found to date. Being one of the first agricultural crops, it is quite possible that the use of hemp helped to shape civilization as we know it today. Richard Hamilton in 20, uh, 20, I'm sorry, 2009, Scientific American article on sustainable agriculture, modern humans emerged some 250,000 years ago, yet agricultural is a fairly recent invention. Only about 10,000 years ago, agriculture is not natural. Natural, It is a human invention. It is also the basis of modern civilization. Okay, so that's just once again, I know uh, I talked about recently in a uh, quick update on the Texas uh, ice storm on how as a society, we have become very dependent on the food system, all right? So you can see where it clearly points out that agriculture is not natural. It's a human invention based, and it's the basis of modern civilization. All right. All right. So the origins of the plant are speculated to be in the foothills of the Himalayas, and it started its migration around the world with a group of people known as the Sathians. A passage from Herodotus, uh, forgive me, I know I'm butchering this, histories from 440 BC mentions uh, Sathians howling with pleasure with hemp vapor trail. This was when the plant split off into two different directions and hemp found its way headed towards Europe where, where it was used as a fiber crop for a multitude of early industrial material and the psychoactive 
active twin moved towards India, the Middle East, and Africa, where it flourished as a medicinal herb and was used for its psychoactive purposes in many spiritual rituals. Okay, so I'm going to beg to differ that that was uh, in the Himalayas was its first use. Because we also know that the indigenous people of Americas also use the plant heavily as well. Okay, um, so I'm hoping that this article will get into it um, because I do know for a fact, if you go back and look at some of the early American charters uh, from England over to... The U.S., hemp was also a part of what hemp and cannabis was a part of the crops that had to be sent back to Europe. Okay, so that means the Americans, the indigenous Americans were growing hemp and that had to be sent back to Europe as a part of an agricultural crop, all right? So anybody that is familiar with cannabis know that it's a relatively easy crop to grow. It grows fast. So if they were using it all that long in Europe, why would they need to bundle it up in colonial times, so I'll even say, let's say the earliest, the 1600s, <clears throat> although uh, England really didn't get involved until the 1700s, but we'll be fair, let's say the 1600s, why would they have to send it back to Europe? Okay, so I question that. All right, so the emergence of cannabis in Asian cultures it was in 2737 BC that marijuana was first recorded for its particular medicinal usage. Uh, Pen Sai Ching, which is a pharma CPO of a pharmacy, I'm just going to say pharmacy, of Emperor Xingnang. The emperor is considered to be the father of traditional Chinese medicine, and he recommended the use of marijuana or ma as it was referred to for over 100 different ailments, including female weakness, gout, rheumatism, mal malaria, constipation, and even absent-mindedness. Oh, wow. So, okay, just real quick. Let's go on over this, because uh, first of all, notice how marijuana, ma, Chinese called it ma. So now... Just a little quick tidbit with the actual cannabis plant when you're using it for strength and medicinal purposes. The strongest plant is the female plant. And the reason is, is because she has the bud per se, okay? So if you have a male plant, Next to the female plant, he would, you know, fertilize the female plant and that would cause her to put her energy more into nurturing the baby, her babies or her baby plants 
rather than nurturing her flower or the bud. That's why when um, folks are growing cannabis for medicinal purposes to get the strength, they do not have the male cannabis plant in the same space as the female plant or moth because it weakens her strength, all right? Now, this is the interesting part about this. I kind of cracked up when I found this out. When you can identify the male plant, because literally, I, I'm not making this up. Go look at it, your, look, look it up for yourself. The male plant, you can see little balls hanging from him. That's how you can identify the male from the female cannabis plant. So any grower, again, that is growing uh, cannabis for the strength of the bud, the bud is the flower, they always remove the male, okay? And the male can be grown separate locations. So you don't want the male where even if the wind blows, he can pollinate the female plant, but the male can be used uh, for, uh, let's say, manufacturing purposes. Uh, so for the hemp part, the stem, and and all of that, uh, all of that jazz, making fabrics and et cetera, et cetera. All right. But the other part of this, I did not know this about gout, that the Asian or Chinese medicine use uh, cannabis for gout, female weakness, I'm assuming that's menstrual cramps, rheumatism, malaria, did not know that either, constipation. Now, absent-minded, absent-mindedness kind of cracks me up because another stigma of cannabis is it, it is said that it makes you lose your short-term memory. So I find that interesting that the Chinese was using it for absent-mindedness. Absent Interesting. All right, so Ma was considered by Shen Nung to be one of the supreme elixirs of immortality, which according to him, if taken over a long period of time, could allow one to communicate with spirits and when one would find their body becomes lighter. So yeah, he was lit up, baby. <laughs> However, he also said that when consumed in excess, it could make people see demons, all right? So now from a spiritual perspective, cannabis is known as a particular herb that can help uh, the one that's taking it open up specific gateways from the spiritual perspective, all right? And that's why I always tell people that if you are using cannabis specifically uh, through meditation and you're, you know, going into the spiritual realm, you know, be careful because you still need to have control of your consciousness, all right? So I can see some people that if you're just so 
you know, blitz out of your mind or high as a kite, as they say. I could see people having bad experiences uh, with cannabis, okay? And that, that goes the same with shrooms also. So I would strongly suggest people that are trying to be consciously aware, uh, access these spiritual gateways to try to do it yourself naturally. Um, or if you do want to use cannabis, only uh, use it in a small amount. Don't get to the point where you are like high, high, all right? And because it, it can get really, really scary very, very easily. I can see that. All right. So, but but that lets you know that Shin, he was getting blazed, y'all. <laughs> But anyway, over in India, cannabis consumption found its way into Hindu workshops. I'm sorry, Hindu worship and uh, era verdict med medical pra practices. Sorry, I know I'm not pronouncing that right. Ancient Vedic texts read that the psychoactive cannabis plant was a gift from the god Shiva and that where the nectar of immortality landed on the earth, ganja grew, ganja, ganja. Now that's interesting, once again, that here you have, although Asia and India, or um, China and India, they're still both in Asia, but even the India culture, they're also calling it uh, immortality. That's the same thing the Chinese said as well. There were three common forms that one might find cannabis in India. Back in these days, the first is called bang, which is a liquid drink blended from the leaves and stems of uncultivated plants. Its potency is actually comparable to marijuana that is available in the present-day United States. Yep. So a lot of times, family... When you're seeing these different products on um, the cannabis market today, a lot of some of them are made from the leaves, etc., etc. Okay, because really the entire plant on down to the stems, it really it's it's usable. It's definitely usable. All right. The second was called ganja. And I swear, y'all, I could have sworn ganja came from the Jamaicans. I ain't even finna sit up here and lie. I could have sworn ganja came from the Jamaicans. <laughs> Jamaicans, rather. The second was called ganja. Now you know where that term came from. Yes, thank you, sweet pea, because I swear I thought it was the Jamaicans, honey. Which is actually more potent than bang and made from the tops of the cultivated plant, the buds that we are used to consuming today, okay? So they just told y'all that the uh, steves and the, the stems and the leaves of the plant, they're not as powerful as that bud, all right? Now, those of you in the melanated community, y'all already know what bud means. So any other um, nationalities, now y'all know what bud means. That represents the actual flower, of the plant, all right? And remember, the strongest potency 
of that bud is going to be from a mother plant, a mother plant that has not been fertilized. So in other words, you see how pregnancy and having children wear a woman down because she got to put all her strength in the pregnancy and in those babies. <laughs> so anyway, the third form and most potent way that marijuana was prepared back then was called charas. And it was very similar to hashi and made from scraping the resin off the leaves of the cultivated plant. Okay, wow, never knew that. I, I done learned something new. Traveling from Asia to the Middle East. Brought to the Middle East between 2000 to 1400 BC, likely by the nomadic Scythians, cannabis quickly found its way in both the Muslim and European cultures, just as it found its way into the lives of those in Asia. In Egypt, the use of marijuana as a medicinal plant has been depicted as far back as 2000 BC, the first time being in Kemet as a way to treat sore eyes and cataracts. Oh, wow. And, you know, even to this day, it is said that marijuana is, uh, or cannabis, is, is great for uh, your eyesight and cataracts. Surprisingly, <clears throat> originally found on the mummies of Ramesses II, Ramesses II, cannabis pollen was found to be on all known royal mummies. In the Middle East, cannabis was most often used as an intoxicant. <clears throat> the main reason for this being that alcohol was not allowed to be consumed by those who followed Muhammad. However, cannabis was accepted and also often used as a substitute. Oh, that's interesting. The uh, medicinal use of the plant was first recorded in, the, in this region in 700 B.C., in the uh, Vendadad, which is believed to be written by Zoroaster. When the Scythians left the Middle East, they once again brought the cannabis plant with them, this time finding its way to Russia and Ukraine. From the Middle East, the plant then finds its way to the rest of the African territory, mostly in the form of seeds by being traded between countries. Okay, so it's saying from the Middle East to Africa, cannabis arrived in Africa around Ethiopian times in the 14th century. And once planted and being carefully cultivated, they soon found the plant thriving. It did not take long for cannabis to become one of the most important crops in the region. It was not long before the plant was being integrated into their culture, which started off with African tribesmen chewing cannabis leaves, okay? So there you see another way to consume it. However, they soon learned the art of smoking the herb, and that changed the course of the African culture in, in a number of ways. People learned skills such as making pipes and the consumption of smoked cannabis quickly found itself as a large part of both ritualistic gathering and for recreational purposes during social gatherings. Actually, there is a tribe whose entire religion is based on cannabis, and they are called the Bashalinge. They call themselves Bini Rambia, which translates to the sons of hemp. 
The ancient culture saw cannabis as a god and saw the pipes used for smoking as a symbol of peace, the first peace pipes. And they believed the plant held magical powers and used it to ward off evil spirits. Right? So there goes yet another culture looking at the uh, plant from the spiritual perspective. Though it is less spoken of in African cultures, cannabis was used still for medicinal purposes, mostly to treat common conditions as dysentery, diarrhea, rheumatism, and malaria. While I did not know, y'all, that cannabis was used for malaria, which malaria is, you know, that that's a problem in um, Africa and uh, some of the... Asian islands as well. So this is really interesting. It was also applied as a salve for snake bites, and it was also used to facilitate childbirth and as a treatment for asthma. You better get on out of here. Did not know that also. I can see the childbirth uh, because it is um, can be used for pain management as well. Uh, but you know what? I can see it for asthma because I know uh, someone whose daughter is taking it. She has a special needs daughter and um, she has seizures and her daughter has a uh, cannabis card to treat those seizures. And she said it was like night and day. I think she gives it to her in a liquid form. Yeah, it's in liquid form. And she said it like literally, she went from having several seizures a day down to maybe once a month. And um, and all I have to do is give her the liquid cannabis when she's having a seizure and she's fine. So that makes sense that it would be treated for asthma. All right, from the Middle East on to Europe. When the Scythians first left the Himalayans' foothills with cannabis in hand, they went to two directions, towards the west to Europe and further east into Asia. While the plants that found themselves in Asia flourished with the psychoactive THC and were used in most cases for medicinal and spiritual purposes, the cannabis that made its way to colder northern European clients uh, climate rather ended up becoming what we know now now as industrial hemp. That's what I was trying to get y'all when I was talking about the male plants earlier. They use the male plant for industrial hemp. Over the years, hemp was cultivated extensively for the use of its fiber to make everything from ropes and clothes to eventually ships and more. Looking back to colonial Europe, hemp was such an important crop that in 1533, King Henry VIII commanded that all English farmers grow hemp or risk paying a hefty fine. The same kind of law was uh, reenacted only 30 years later by the first Queen Elizabeth. Okay, so like I said, I know for a fact when they were over here in the Americas, that they were mandated as they were getting those illegal land grants from the kings 
over in the Americas, they were mandated to grow uh, cannabis, a.k.a. also the hemp crops, and they had to send a certain amount back over uh, to England, all right? Okay, though uh, medicinal purposes were not their focus in the beginning, the potent, I'm sorry, though, and let's not forget, sorry, y'all, let's not forget in the Americas that those early colonists were also over here for, uh, of course, the fur trade, but they were also over here, too, for tobacco, the tobacco trade as well, all right? All right, so uh, though medicinal purposes were not the focus in the beginning, the THC potent marijuana plants eventually found their way into Europe. It is believed that psychoactive cannabis was first brought to France in the form of hashi or hash <laughs> by Jacques Joseph Monroe de Tours when returning with Napoleon in 1799. Uh, Dr. Moreau had intentions of administering the plant to mental patients to study how they react. Reacted. Oh, okay. So now that's interesting. So in 1533, they were just using it as a hemp industrial plant. But they didn't start uh, messing with the bud part of it, the flower part of it, until 1799. Okay, so that's interesting. Okay. Okay, so when given the hash, uh, the hash, patients appeared to calm down, insomniacs were able to fall asleep, and even the moods of the most depressed patients appeared to lift. While these results were inconsistent, Monroe believed that the herb was the key to understanding mental illness and even believed it could help them gain insight into the minds they were trying to understand. To understand the raving of madman, one must have raved himself, but without having lost the awareness of one's madness, Dr. Monroe wrote in Hash and Mental Illness. His piece was published in 1845, and suggested that mental illness was caused by a chemical alteration of the nervous system rather than the physical damage to the brain. He believed that large doses of hash could induce a state of psychosis that in a way mirrored that of an actual mental disease. Eventually, Dr. Monroe stated to give the hash to creatives poets, painters, architects, writers, sculptors, and more who were interested in the mind-altering effect of the green paste made of pistachio, cinnamon, nutmeg, sugar, orange peel, butter, clove, and, of course, hash. Well, dang, I didn't know they were getting down like that way back then where they was taking the hash paste, because remember they said they made the hash by scraping off the leaf. And they was putting it up in food. I didn't see. They was even doing it back then, y'all. Putting it up in butter and all of that. All right. So the group was informally dubbed La Club de 
Hashians or the Hash Eaters Club. And the paste they ate was called Dawamesk in Arabic, which translated to medicine of immortality. Around the same time as all of that was happening, Dr. William B. O'Shanaghy, an Irish scientist and physician, studied Indian hemp for its medicinal purposes. Over a number of years, he studied can- cannabis uses and its impact on conditions such as rabies, tendonitis, epilepsy, rheumatism, and other difficult to treat conditions. You know what, y'all? That's a doggone shame. So way back then, they knew cannabis can um, help with epilepsy. Chow. By the 1840, O'Shanigan had returned to England and with the help of Peter Squire, a London pharmacist, was able to develop and refine an alcohol-based tincture called Squire's Extract, which was soon prescribed throughout Europe and the United States for a number of conditions, including nausea, delirium, epilepsy, and painful spasms. Wow, y'all. So they were definitely using it back then. Wow. Mm, mm, mm. Okay, okay, wow. All right, so they knew way back then uh, about it being treatable, being able to treat uh, spasms, epilepsy, nausea, and that's great for people going through chemotherapy. And wow, this is really, really interesting. Now, this was back in the 1840s. Wow. Okay, how cannabis found its way across the Atlantic. The Portuguese were among the first countries to enslave African people and bring them overseas by ship. Ships outfitted with hemp sails, ropes, and nets. It is widely accepted that cannabis was not native to the New World and that it arrived on ships with the slaves. All right, so here again, this is where I have an issue with them because we do know that the slavery narrative that they are giving us in the millions is simply not so. So that's why I said that cannabis uh, was also being grown by the indigenous people already here in the Americas, okay? So it's saying in the 1500s, Brazil, a Portuguese colony, saw cannabis for the first time. All right, so, you know... Marijuana times, you need to learn a little bit of history because that's not accurate. The indigenous people of the Americas were already using and growing cannabis, okay? You didn't have enough African slaves to uh, come over and bring that particular plant, all right? You already had indigenous people that have been reclassified as African slaves, Negro and colored, that were already here in the Americas growing and using the plant. All right. At first, cannabis was grown in sugar plantations throughout Northeast Brazil between rows of sugar cane, and it was allowed to continue 
Oh, only because the African slaves appeared to work and tolerate the heat better when they smoked the herb. Okay, so again, I'm going to say there was not millions of Africans brought to the Americas. Okay, you are talking about indigenous people of color that have been reclassified as African that were already here in the Americas. How do you think they knew how to grow, grow the sugar cane and put their little weed in between it? They already knew those things because they were already doing those things. Okay, it is believed the word marijuana likely comes from the Portuguese word marijuana, which means intoxicant. Eventually... Okay, so now they're saying eventually the slaves came into contact with South American Indians with whom they shared their psychoactive plant. Okay, again, see, you had to clean up and try to say how did it spread? It spread by the slaves. Again, the American Indians were already using and growing cannabis. They did not get it from African slaves. African slaves have been, uh, the American Indian has been reclassified as Africans. There were not millions of Africans that came over to the Americas. All right, so the natives were familiar with many plants. Okay, so the indigenous, they're calling them natives, were already familiar with many plants that they use for religion and spiritual journeys as well as for therapeutic purposes. So they quickly adopted the cannabis plant as part of their own culture. No, again, you need to go back marijuana times and get the proper history. They were already using and growing cannabis. Okay? Not long after that, uh, did smoking the herb become something that people of all types partic partook in, including fishermen, dock workers, and more? Through this, it made its way into the northern regions of South America, including Mexico. As the use of marijuana became more popular overall, the number of medicinal purposes also became more notable throughout Latin America and the Caribbean. Okay, now I find it interesting, even to today, we know that Mexico is prominent for growing that marijuana plant, okay? So why would they need Africans to show them how to grow the plant? It, it, just, it just doesn't make sense. So uh, that's just a little bit of um, misinformation. And I understand why they're doing it. It's not that they're doing it intentionally it's just because that's the version of history they've been taught and they've been making assumptions so again the plant was already here in the americas used by the indigenous people of the land now notice they said african people uh because they're using that synonymous with black skin brown skin because that's who's known to have the most history with it, okay? But the, um, the truth is 
the indigenous black and brown of the Americas were already growing it, already using it. Uh, medicinal leaf. South Americans made tea by boiling the leaves of the marijuana plant, and the tea was used for such things as rheumatism, colic, female troubles, sleeping disorder, and many other common complaints. Oh, that's interesting about the, the colic. Hmm. It was also packed on the gums in painful areas to relieve toothaches and leaves soaked in alcohol were wrapped around swollen joints, which was said to help arthritis. Cannabis introduction. Uh, cannabis introduction in the United States of America. The earliest introduction of the cannabis plant in the United States was actually the moment the pilgrims landed on the Plymouth Rock. Uh, seeing as their ships were geared up with many hemp-made products. Okay, so again, you're not accurate uh, with this because they have uh, not saying that who you're calling, uh, not even founders, the pilgrims, you're saying that they brought hemp over here. No, it was already in America, in the Americas. Now, y'all may have brought your own hemp seeds because that's what your king mandated you to do, that you had to grow hemp in order to send it back over to Europe. But that's not saying that the crop wasn't already here because it was already here. Because remember, you all in Europe, you weren't even using it for pain management and medicinal. And I'm speaking of uh, England, 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 because France was. This is by your own admission. England was not using it for medicinal purposes. They were only using it for the agricultural side of it. Okay, so they were saying that the hemp seeds were planted in Jamestown and eight years later, the Virginia Assembly passed a law that required every household in the colony to grow the plant since it had so many different uses from fabric to paper to ropes and more. Okay, so again, marijuana times, you need to check yourself. They did not introduce cannabis and a marijuana plant to the Americas. They brought what they knew the plant's use was for. And I'm speaking on England, which was only industrial use. The indigenous people of America were already using the plant for medicinal purposes and in spiritual rituals, okay? So folks have to be careful with their version of history, because you're only giving it from the, the side of uh, the pilgrims and the colonists. Life didn't begin with the colonization of these different indigenous people land. Okay? All right, so showing just how important hemp was to the early Americans, there are many towns that were named after the crop, crop such as Hempstead, 
Hempfield and Hempfield, spelled two different ways, among other variations. Everyone from the founding fathers to pretty much every other citizen of the colonies were growing hemp, and for good reason, as they all knew that something was going to happen between them and Great Britain, it was just a matter of time. Okay, all right, but again, they were only growing it for industrial purposes. The indigenous people were already using it for medicinal purposes. One of the first acts of defiance against Great Britain was the Americans' refusal to send raw hemp fiber back on the ships. Instead, they grew their own hemp and already had a steady supply for the Boston Tea Party happen. The crop was so vital to both countries that it was a true act of rebellion among the monarchy and the country. Now, isn't that interesting? that this part of how important that cannabis plant was to the early colonists, that that was one thing on the list for them to have problems with each other over. I don't hear them discussing that. I hear them talking about the tea. I hear them talking about the tobacco, but I don't hear them talking about the cannabis plant. Huh. You see how history is revised to fit propaganda or agendas? All right. So it wasn't until much later that the psychoactive marijuana plants found their way to the United States. Okay, so I'm going to say again, I'm going to say again, the indigenous people of the Americas were already using the bud, the bud, the flower part of the cannabis. They were already using it for pain management and medicinal purposes. Just because England, who was not using the bud part of the plant, started using it, that does not mean that the indigenous people were not using it, all right? Because you already said that they were using it in the islands, okay? So most of it found its way to us via Mexicans seeking refuge from the Mexican Revolution of 1910 to 1911. Unfortunately, Americans had not seen the side of the cannabis plant and the way it was introduced brought a fear on a fear that we're still trying to shake off for over a century later. Okay, so once again, I told you, why is it today that the Mexicans are still a huge grower of the cannabis plant specifically for the purpose of medicinal or recreational use, that bud part? Okay. So again, it did not come from Europe. Did not come from Europe just because the original colonies, those eastern colonies, were only using the plant for industrial hemp part because that's all they knew. Doesn't mean that the other indigenous people weren't using the cannabis bud for the medicinal purposes. 
because you cannot convince me that the medicinal and recreational use of cannabis didn't happen until 1910. You're not going to convince me of that. Okay? That might have been when it went, quote, quote, mainstream to the colonists slash pilgrims, but that's, it was not new to the indigenous people, okay? Because you didn't already said, you're contradicting yourself, because you said the quote, quote, Africans were already blazing up, right? So marijuana times, although I know you're probably not listening to this, you got a lot of contradictions in here because you don't know true history. Okay, so now let's get back. All right, so let me see here. Uh, Many early prejudices against marijuana were thinly veiled racist fears of its smokers (coughs) often propagated by reactionary newspapers, Worf wrote in his report. Mexicans were frequently blamed for smoking marijuana, property crimes, seducing children, and engaging in murderous sprees. It was the perception of marijuana that led us into the era of prohibition and beginning of reefer madness. It was only four years later in 1915 that cannabis was outlawed for the first time in the state of Utah. But by 1929, the plant was illegal in 29 states in total. Unfortunately, these laws never made the distinction between cannabis sativa marijuana and cannabis sativa L industrial hemp. So they effectively outlawed both plants in one shot. Unfortunately, things only progressed for the worse from here until many years later, but we will be getting into that more in depth in the next couple of articles. There is so much that we just don't know about cannabis, <coughs> excuse me, from its multitude of usage, both as a fiber and as medicine. But looking into the history of the cannabis plant throughout the world, you can see that many of the conditions we currently treat with medical marijuana were being treated with it for centuries prior to prohibition. In the grand scheme of things, prohibition has been a very small part of the cannabis plant's journey. Laws governing the plant have only existed within the last couple of hundred years or so. But before modern modern medicines were available, people were turning to holistic botanical medicines, and in ancient texts and depictions around the world, the cannabis plant has always been mentioned as a beneficial herb. People only strayed away from cannabis when modern Western medicine started to take over and the fear of the psychoactive plant started to surface. All right. Uh, So again, this is from Marijuana Times. Uh, so it's marijuanatimes.org and it's the part one of, uh, the, a history of cannabis and prohibition. So again, if we fast forward to where we are today, 
where we have, um, you know, folks legalizing marijuana from the state level and um, meaning if using it either for just medicinal purposes only and also for um, widespread recreational use. You think about from the time that it became quote, quote, illegal and put on that scheduled one, how many people were incarcerated for possessing a plant, literally a plant. It's not like, you know, even the, you know, cocaine or heroin, which are also derivatives of plants, but there is level of processing to those particular schedule one um, drugs. All right. So cocaine has to be processed for recreational use, that it is how it's being used today. So does heroin. And we know all the other chemical drugs are just straight processed out of a lab. But literally, marijuana is literally a plant, a plant that was made illegal. Okay. Just for propaganda purposes. Still really no scientific, credible claim just for pure propaganda. A plant that was used across the world for thousands of years by indigenous people for spiritual and medicinal purposes and as well as industrial use as well. Now, the part two of this, um, we're going to get into the 13 colonies, which I told y'all before on how important the cannabis plant was back then. So this is part two. This is again, um, this is, this says, did your high school or college American history class ever cover the major role that hemp played in the life of the early settlers in the 13 colonies? Likely the answer is no. Personally, I know none of my classes ever made the more of a passing note about hemp. The fact that many of the British and French ships that came to the New World were outfitted with hemp ropes and sails and maybe a mention that it was once a valuable crop. Okay, so this author got more than I did in the school because I never heard about uh, cannabis or the hemp plant being important in the 13 colonies. All I heard about was tobacco and tea. All right, so in one part of this prohibition history, we cover how the cannabis plant made its journey around the world and the role it played in ancient cultures as both a medicinal herb and for its material uses. We notice how hemp plants made its way towards Europe as the psychoactive plant headed to Asia and then made a long journey around the globe, both eventually finding themselves in what we know as modern-day North America. So again, just correcting the author that the indigenous people of the Americas were already using the cannabis plant for medicinal purposes. 
All right, so this time around, we're going to dig deeper into the role of hemp in the early American culture, when and why the colonists started to cultivate hemp, and a look at how psychoactive marijuana made its appearance in the United States. You might be surprised at how well-received the plant truly was prior to Prohibition. It's strange how public opinion was able to shift so rapidly, but we're seeing Almost the same thing now as support for legalizing marijuana grows more and more each year. A quick note, just like last time before we get started, um, he's linked sources. So the author has linked sources. He once again referenced a book by Martin A. Lee called Smoke Signals. Okay, so it's if started when King James ordered... Jamestown to cultivate hemp. All right, so I'm glad he went over this because I didn't know this until a few little years ago. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Right, so uh, in the last article, we discussed how King Henry VIII in 1533 and Queen Elizabeth I of 1563 required that all farmers grow hemp or or face a hefty fine. The first hemp seeds, uh, they were planted by the colonists, all right? So in other words, the colonists brought it over there. And then King James in 1611 made a proclamation that mirrored those previously enacted in England required all farmers to grow hemp, all right? So like I told y'all earlier, they had to grow hemp and send it back over to England. Only eight years late, some some of the crop. They had to grow it and uh, put a portion aside to be sent back over to England. Only eight years later, in 1619, the Virginia Assembly passed a law that not only required farmers, but all households. That's a lot of hemp, y'all, to show you how important that crop was. What they, how important it was from the industrial purposes. Because remember, they weren't using the bud part of the plant for medicinal or recreational use at this point. They were only using it for the industrial use. So it must have been pretty doggone important for them to require all of the household of the pilgrims to grow hemp. This was the same year that they brought in experts from Poland and Sweden to try to teach farmers hemp culture in order to help them grow the crop successfully. During these years, some newcomers were uh, contracted to grow hemp in exchange for a ride over to the New World, which many took happily knowing what was supposed to await them across the sea. Hemp was one of the first crops planted on American soil and As such, it became a staple in their everyday lives. People wore clothes made entirely out of hemp fiber. They wiped their hands with hemp towels and blew their noses on hemp handkerchiefs. Okay, so again, just to put it in perspective, because this author is looking at it from the uh, purpose or the viewpoint of the pilgrim slash colonizers. They were using hemp for industrial purposes, but the indigenous people of the land used it for medicinal purposes, okay? 
All right, some was used to make things like paper and yarn, and eventually the first draft, y'all get out of here, honey. And eventually the first draft of the Declaration of Independence was written on hemp paper. Hemp fiber was used for so many things that it was eventually able to serve as a substitute for legal tender later on during the 17th and 18th century of America. Wow, that's a a pretty important crop. That's very important. So they were using it for their Declaration of Independence and even down to their money, their legal tender. Wow. There were places all throughout the Atlantic coast to the Midwest that showed how much country, how much the country appreciated him with towns named, yeah, we talked about that, with towns named after it, like Hempstead and Hempfield and Hemp Hill. Um, okay, so it says not long after Virginia Assembly required all households to grow the valuable valuable crop. Did the town of Salem, better known for the period of the Salem witch trials, documented its first shipment of hemp seeds from England and Holland in 1625. Less than five years later, in 1629, Salem was the home to the first hemp rope factory in the United States, which led to dozens of new factories to pop up over the next hundred years or so. Uh, The story behind the founding fathers in hemp cultivation, there is truth to the rumors that the founding fathers grew cannabis, but in reality, it was not the marijuana plant that we think of that they were trying to grow, but rather the industrial hemp plant that was so very valuable in those days, okay? So once again, as I said before, England was using the crop for the industrial side, not the medicinal bud side or the flower side for medicine and recreational use, which the indigenous people of America, along with all indigenous people around the world, have been using it for thousands of years. While their attempts to grow hemp may not have been most successful, the reason behind growing it and urging everyone in the colonies to do so as well is extremely memorable. It's not like the founding fathers were blind to the way things were going with Great Britain. They knew where things were headed after the greatly celebrated Boston Tea Party. When the colonists first started to force their independence on Great Britain, they refused to send back (coughs) the raw hemp that they harvested. (coughs) Now, I certainly didn't know that. I didn't hear about them refusing to send back that hemp. I knew all about that tea, (laughs) but not the hemp. Instead, they processed the hemp themselves, which eventually led to Benjamin Franklin telling the British that the Americans needed all the hemp they could get. So this is very interesting to learn how important that hemp plant was to America. Franklin also owned a mill, which was used to convert hemp pulp into paper which the Americans used for many famous documents such as brainstorming their plans for liberation. Things such as Common Sense by Thomas Paine spoke highly of him and all it could provide Americans with. 
Washington soldiers wore uniforms made of hemp. The entire revolutionary army was clothed in hemp. And even the first American flags were made of hemp. It was a vital crop. And without it, the colonists would have had a much tougher time separating themselves from Great Britain. Wait a minute, what? You mean to tell me that the plant, and remember I'm saying plant, I'm not talking about any plant that they process for the use of recreational. I'm talking about the plant that can be used for medicinal purposes, that can be used for recreational use, uh, for spiritual ceremony purposes. Oh, and what? Even down to the stem itself has industrial uses. And this plant was so important back in the 13 colony days that they told uh, Britain, you know what? We we can't send y'all our hemp back. We got stuff to do to use use it for ourselves. That's huge. Why did they leave out the importance of hemp as they're teaching history class today? Because that would bring into question why it was illegal and why so many millions of people have been locked up behind bars for the recreational use of the plant and the distribution or selling of the plant. Again, that's propaganda at its highest. All right. Um, At the time, the only guide of this source was printed and published in Italy, unfortunately. It was written in their native tongue, which made it useless to the colonists. Of course, the cultivators of hemp in Venice responsible for the guide were not interested in sharing their tactics. Um, oh, I missed the paragraph. I apologize, y'all. All right, now let's backtrack for a moment Moment to when George Washington and Thomas Jefferson first attempted to grow hemp in their own backyards. Washington found out from his own experience that even though hemp was not terribly difficult to, to grow, it was highly difficult to process and it never seemed to keep up with their demand. The main problem, he believed, was the lack of proper guide on how to cultivate the hemp plant. At the time, the only guide of this source was printed and published in Italy. Unfortunately, it was written in their native tongue, which made it useless to the colonists. Of course, the cultivators of hemp in Venice responsible for the guide were not interested in sharing their tactics. It wasn't until 10 years later that anyone attempted to write a guide in English. It was less of a book and more of a short guide written by Edmund Quincy, cousin to John Adams, the first president, uh, vice president and second president, titled A uh, Treatise of Hemp Husbandry, right? So that term husbandry, uh, I know some of you might know this, who were with us for um, the Forgotten Black Nobility series on Truth Uncompromised, that word husbandry really meant men that were cultivating the land, all right? So that's where the root word 
family husband comes from, husbandry, which really meant the cultivating, men cultivating the land, okay? So the treaty was published in 1765, which was the same year that George Washington's diary provided his records, provides his records of trying to grow hemp at his Mount Vernon home. All right, shout out to Mount Vernon, New York. <laughs> A part of the entries that read began to separate the male. See y'all, I ain't got to lie, Craig. I ain't got to lie. I told y'all about that male plant. All right, so he fenced the, to break it down up in his guide. A part of the entry that reads began to separate the male from the female hemp rather too late. This is likely the reason that many people believe that George Washington was trying to grow the psychoactive cannabis rather than the industrial hemp. As separating the plants is a vital practice in creating highly potent marijuana, such as the medical grade plants in California. See, I ain't got to lie, Craig. I ain't got to lie. I do's my research. I told you that the bud, okay, or the, the strong cannabis, that bud flower, in order for it to be strong, she cannot get pregnant or pollinate. So the male plants have to be separated, okay? And that's why when um, people are growing cannabis and, and they see the, the first set of leaves come on the plants and when they can see the, the male against the female, they'll go and they'll rip the males out because those males, they, they know that if that male starts fertilizing the female plant, that that's going to make her flower less potent because she's going to use her energy in caring for her babies. All right? Okay. However, this is likely not the case, as George Washington noted, that he was trying to increase the yields of seed by separating the plants as recommended in a uh, treaty of hemp husbandry. Yeah, okay then, George. If that's what you want to say, boo, that you were separating it, I say you was trying to blaze up or you wanted, <laughs> you wanted the stronger version. All right. So the more likely scenario is that he was writing about how he had not followed directions, potentially damaging the yields of that particular harvest. Exactly. So I, I do agree that he was um, saying the mistake that he made. But and now let's be clear. It's not that that male plant that he's not useful because he is solely used for um, the industrial side. OK, so now, George, a uh, player, 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 George, if you wasn't blazing up, what difference did it make? If the man and the woman was growing together, if all of us was being industrial. See, now this me, this me, boo. You wanted your separate stash to blaze or use it for medical use, and that's okay. All right? So I'm sure he learned the difference when he was trying to use the um, bud part of the plant 
and it wasn't as strong. So I'm sure some of them indigenous people told him, nah, player, you got to take that male out of there to make that bud stronger. All right. So in the end, it was all his hope of gathering enough seeds that would never need to rely on outside countries for such important resources. Okay. Um, so which again is smart. All right. I talk about all the time about how we are so wasteful, uh, as a country on how we depend on the industrial side to feed us. And a lot of people, that, especially a lot of people that spend money on it, organic food, you spend a lot of money on that organic food, the, the fruits and uh, the, the fruit and the vegetables, and you're not saving your seeds. You Every household should have a stockpile of seeds. So even if you don't want to buy the seeds, you can save your seeds and have a lifetime supply. Because if anything happened with the food supply system, you should be able to grow your food. All right? All right. So between the revolution and the prohibitionist era, By the time of the mid-1800s rolled around, 100 years later, hemp had become the third largest cash crop in the country, just behind cotton and tobacco. Wait a minute. Hold up. Wait a minute. You mean, we always hear about cotton, because we heard cotton was king in the South. We always heard about tobacco. Okay? Because they always talk about the treaties between the indigenous Indians and Europe over tobacco. I don't hear them talking about, again, the importance of cannabis. This stayed the norm for many years, especially as this was the era where the medicinal benefits of both hemp and marijuana started to come into play for the early Americans. All right. So they the colonists came over here with the cannabis seed, but they were only using it for industrial hemp purposes. All right. So somebody put George Washington up on game and said, well, you know that bud, that flower part, you can use it for medicinal purposes. So he started testing it. That's why he was testing it, and that's why he documented telling them to separate the male cannabis plant from the female. The only reason you would do that is for the purpose of getting that stronger bud that can be used for medicinal and recreational use. That's the only reason that you would separate that male flower. So in this article, they admitted that by the 1800s, the mid-1800s, that's when the um, early pilgrim slash colonists started using cannabis uh, for both medicinal and industrial uses. Cannabis was the main ingredient in an alcohol-based um, tincture called Squire's Extract. Okay, we talked about that. 
which um now see this is where they contra see i told you i always catch them up in something because squire's extract came out in 1840 and in 1854 indian hemp i thought y'all said that the indians didn't know about it that's what you said in your first article you said the indians didn't know about it and i told you yes they did that the Africans didn't have to tell the Indians anything because the Indians have been using it for thousands of years. So you just proved my point when y'all was calling it Indian hemp. All right? Okay. So, um, and, and so they were calling it in 1854 Indian hemp what we eventually came to know as marijuana. Net was listed in the uh, U.S. pharmaceutical, and it was listed under the name Extractum Cannabis, or Extract of Hemp. It was listed as having a variable potency, and more than 100 articles appear in medical and scientific journals of that time period. So like I said, like I said before, see, I ain't got to lie, Craig. I ain't got to lie. I told you all that the indigenous Indians of the Americas were already using cannabis for thousands of years for medicinal and recreational purposes. That the colonists slash pilgrims were only using it for industrial purposes. So it was the Indians that put the colonists up on game on the bud Part of the plant to use it for medicinal purposes. Six years later, in 1860, the very first official U.S. state uh, United States government study on cannabis was conducted by the Ohio State Medical Society. The study was able to provide them with insight into a wide range of conditions that doctors had successfully treated with hemp, including bronchitis, rheumatism, and postpartum depression. Wow, y'all. So you means to tell me, back up in 1860, that they knew that cannabis could be used as a treatment for postpartum depression? Wow. At this point in time, the use of both hemp extract and the more potent psychoactive cannabis extracts were considered a safe and effective form of treatment for a number of different conditions around the world. Uh, what? Now, all around the world, the indigenous tribes have been using this plant for thousands of years. They ain't talked about no side effects and all that. The only side effect we heard was um, one of the emperors back in China who pretty much said, if you get too blitzed, you might see demons. So you can get too blitzed if you want to and call yourself slipping into a trance, you might see demons. That's the only side effect we didn't heard. Now, these people have been using it for thousands of years. So even in 1860, in the young United States government, who was put on game on the potent, powerful medicinal side 
of Canada's cannabis by the Indians, they studied it and said, all right, the both hemp extract and more potent psychoactive cannabis extracts were considered a safe and effective form of treatment for a number of different conditions around the world. So to show you how the whole illegal outbanning of marijuana and the propaganda that even still continues up to this day on how it is a dangerous drug, it's just not so. It was used for thousands of years. And literally, people's lives have been destroyed. Their lives have been destroyed over a plant that was somehow good for hundreds of years. It was good to profit from from the early colonists slash pilgrims and even the founding fathers were growing it. It was good enough for them. It was good enough to be the third largest profitable crop for those early colonists. But then all of a sudden, it's dangerous and it needed to be categorized as illegal and folks needed to be locked up for having possession of the plant, using the plant, or distributing the plant. Now let's be clear. We're talking about a plant. You take the seed, you put it in the ground, you let it grow. Depending on how you want to use it, if you want to take the bud, okay, you got to take that male plant out, put him somewhere totally different. You can use him for industrial use. You grow the mama plant by herself. She gets her bud. You can use that bud for many medicinal purposes, for pain management, and for psychoactive purposes, recreational, uh, whether or not it's some type of spiritual ritual for your beliefs. Now, we're talking about this same plant that you just put a seed in the ground and it grows. All of a sudden, it became harmful. And folks have been locked up. And U.S. prisons, lives destroyed for a plant that was once being used for profit. The idea of using cannabis as a recreational drug did not come about in America until around this time as well. So we're talking in the 1860s. Yeah, of course it wasn't because the colonists didn't know how to use it for the medicinal slash recreational purpose. The Indians had to show them. It was many first person's literary accounts of recreational cannabis use were published around the world that Americans finally took an interest in something other than alcohol for recreation. In 1876, cannabis was on sale at the Turkish Hash Pavilion during the Centennial exposition in Philadelphia, which gathered a lot of attention. Within a decade, hash was a popular substance 
and people gather in private social settings to consume it. Even though most cannabis use for recreation was done in private, even then it was still often in a social setting and it was also not discriminated against in the way that it is today. Actually, back then, before the upcoming era of reefer madness, it was not known as an addicting substance and it was absolutely not known to induce violence or antisocial behaviors. Rather, it was considered to be elegant and people of all ages and generally of the higher class were using cannabis. Unfortunately, while we had a small chance that this social influence would have been the one to keep moving forward, a lot of things changed when the Mexican refugees started crossing the border between the years of 1910 and 11. Those refugees brought the first smokable marijuana as we know it today in the United States. And with that came all negative stigma that will lead us into the world we know today. Okay, so again, I say that doesn't add up to me <clears throat> if the indigenous Indians, so it was known as Indian hemp back in 1854, all right? So back in around the 1800s, they started um, using it for medicinal purposes. Um, they start, They knew how potent it was. So I'm really not buying that because the Mexicans, refugees start coming over to the mainland, <clears throat> Because remember, Mexico is part of the Americas. So I'm really not buying that when the Mexicans came over in 1910 and they were smoking it, that's when it became dangerous. When it was already around. The colonists <clears throat> didn't learn about the medicinal part of it until the 1854, 1854. But the indigenous Indians who were already on all of the Americans' land were already using it. It's interesting that less than 200 years ago, this plant was completely acceptable, accepted, and trusted for its medicinal uses. And less than 400 years ago, it was used to make everything from clothing to paper. Our country would never have reached the point it has if it were not for the cannabis plant, both industrial hemp and psychoactive marijuana alike. Next time, we will be taking a look at just how quickly public opinion on marijuana changed and how quickly things took a downward turn on cannabis. Okay, so again, um, thank you so much to, um, this is, uh, this is called Hemp Logic Part 2. Okay, so you can go look this up. And I just kind of wanted to do this podcast to just kind of show you how marijuana or cannabis was villainized. Or just pure propaganda and how lives have been destroyed based on a plant that 
lawmakers, and I call them administrators or paper pushers, decided to make illegal when it was used for thousands of years. And not only that, even the early foundation of the colonists slash pilgrims slash founding fathers were using the same said plant for profit. And now today, public opinion, folks have pretty much had enough of the drama regarding marijuana. And now that the states have pretty much bankrupted themselves, now all of a sudden they want to lift the illegal part of the plant for profit. And now all of a sudden, all of the medicinal uses, as well as the industrial use of the plant, are now once again being talked about. Now the catch is, like anything dealing with this corporation, is they want said people to have a license to grow and distribute So in other words, they want to control the plant and profit off of the plant. When again, this is a plant with a seed that has been used for thousands of years across the world with the indigenous people. And what about the lives that have been destroyed, particularly those same Indigenous bloodlines whose ancestors have used the plant for thousands of years. They were the ones that were caught up in the criminalization of this plant. What will they be given in return? They should be the first group of people that are allowed to grow and distribute without any type of oversight, any type of licensing. What about the current folks that are still locked up behind bars or have charges on their record for cannabis? And it should not matter whether or not a state has made it legal or not. These are the things that we as divine souls need to have our eyes wide open, need to have our souls connected because none of these things should have occurred. No one should be able to tell you that a beneficial plant is illegal that your ancestors used for thousands of years. No one should have the power and authority to tell you what you can put in your body, what you can grow for the purpose of your family and yourself. Even with the coca leaf itself, although I do feel 
that cocaine in the process state as well as heroin in in its process state is highly addictive. But even the original plants that are associated with it without the processing, they have medicinal purposes. Why is it that tobacco was the plant that was left standing? Why isn't tobacco why wasn't tobacco outlawed when after all of the processing they have proven that it causes cancer and death? But yet somehow tobacco was able to keep standing. Somehow alcohol which is also highly addictive and probably causes more deaths than out of any of the drugs, it was also left standing. But the marijuana plant, which they still have no credible scientific evidence that it is harmful, was demonized and made illegal. But now that is being lifted after centuries and after many lives destroyed with people of color and indigenous people. Even with Mexico, a lot of the cannabis coming up out of Mexico. Just imagine if those people were able to grow their marijuana free of the criminalization on the open market. Think how much that would lift people out of poverty. Think of the indigenous people in America that are now labeled as African American, Negro in color. Think of how that would lift the indigenous people of the Americas, the mainland, out of poverty if they were able to freely grow and distribute cannabis. So family, it's time to wake up and truly, truly stand in your sovereignty as a divine soul. So sorry this was so long, family. Didn't intend for it to be this long (laughs) with the history of the cannabis plant. Um, I hope you got something out of this. And I wish everyone that is listening to this well, peace and love.